Hello, my friends. It's your buddy Phil here, project management trainer and coach. I know lots of you are getting ready to take this exam in 2021 and be one and done with it. I commend you. Keep going down that path of success. But one thing you need to do, you need to fix that exam date. And fixing that exam date is only going to propel you to success in a timely, intentional and sensible fashion because some folks are just thrashing all over the place without focusing their energy and effort on that exam date. You got to focus on one date, my friends. Now, for me, I focused on an exam date, but I kept on moving it and moving it until I got fed up on myself. And I said, look here, Phil, you are going to take the exam on the 25th of June, 2005. So I pushed myself into the exam room almost kicking and screaming, but I knew I had to do it. I had to fix down the date. And that's what I did. And at the end of the day, success. Anyway, for those of you taking the exam, you've probably heard me say, if you're focusing on this channel quite a bit, that you should take a look at the scrum guide. And what I want to do today is take a look at that scrum guide. I want to give some commentaries as I go through it. And I want to sensitize you to ideas about the exam. So think about this as the scrum guide 2020 version from our awesome friends Ken Schwaber and Jeff Sutherland. But what I'm doing is I'm putting a PMP spin on it. Okay. If you want a straight version of the Scrum Guide without any PMP commentary, look on this channel and you'll be able to find a couple of them. One that repeats and one that is just about 25 minutes or so. So getting into the Scrum Guide, which you can get at scrumguides.org. So getting into the very first page of the Scrum Guide, Ken and Jeff tell you they wrote the first version of the Scrum Guide in 2010, but they developed Scrum in the early 90s. Think about that. That is a huge 20-year gap, 20 years from the time they first developed Scrum to the time they wrote the first edition. So you can imagine that this has a lot of thought put into it. And now in 2020... All these years later, think about it, 30 years later, they are now commenting again on how Scrum was formed. It says the Scrum Guide contains a definition of Scrum. Each element of the framework serves a specific purpose that is essential to the overall value and results realized with Scrum. So what I urge people to do if you're new to Scrum and you're practicing it for the first time Keep it intact. Don't start moving stuff around. Keep it intact because it is going to help you. We follow the growing use of Scrum within an ever-growing complex world. We are humbled to see Scrum being adopted in many domains holding essentially complex work beyond software product development where Scrum has its roots. And the truth is a lot of companies are using Scrum. But before you begin tweaking anything, you've got to master it in its intact state. You need to know all the advantages and benefits of it. It's very simple. It's very lightweight. But do not mistake lightweight for simple and therefore I can move anything around. Yeah, it comes across as lightweight and simple. But the more you get into Scrum, you realize, oh my goodness, it sounds simple. But to follow in a methodical, intentional, calculated fashion, which is where you get the best from it, it's not easy. A lot of companies and firms, they have realized, okay, Scrum isn't for us for those reasons. All right. So definition of Scrum. Scrum is 
a lightweight framework that helps people, teams, and organizations generate value through adaptive solutions for complex problems. So the mindset, my friends, for your exam needs to be, I am generating value. It's not just about creating products. I am generating value through adaptive solutions for complex problems. This is what we use for complex problems. This is not what you use for simple problems. For simple problems, you can use predictive. Simple problems that we know what the solution is from beginning to end, step one, two, three, four, five, you can use predictive. But when it comes to complex, when it comes to anarchy, when it comes to chaos, you need to be thinking about agile and therefore scrum. Now, if you haven't heard me say it before, out of the companies that use agile or say we are agile in our thinking, they employ agile thinking. Well, out of those companies, 70 percent of those companies say they use scrum think about it of all the agile frameworks and methods one can use scrum why it should tell you that scrum is successful when employed the right way in the right context there are some people who are failing miserably trying to be agile in practice only but not in behavior not in mindset so it's very important that we see Scrum as being successful when it's employed the right way. All right, and that's why in the beginning I said, keep it intact, practice it well before diverting and doing other things, you know. So in a nutshell, Scrum requires a Scrum master to foster an environment where a product owner orders the work for a complex problem into a product backlog. The Scrum team turns a selection of the work into an increment of value during a sprint. We call that the PSI sometimes, the potentially shippable increment, but really most folks will call it the increment now. We don't always call it potentially shippable increment anymore, but there's nothing wrong in that. Just know that there are multiple ways you could refer to it. The Scrum team and its stakeholders inspect the results and adjust for the next sprint. And we're calling that the retrospective and then repeat. So those are the four steps that we talk about in Scrum. Scrum is simple. Try it as is and determine if its philosophy, theory, and structure help to achieve goals and create value. That's a key thing. It does seem simple. It does sound simple. But I tell you, Scrum, to practice it, it needs a lot of discipline. That is not simple. And that's why a lot of companies fizzle out and they're using all sorts of other frameworks, all sorts of crazy frameworks, which they shouldn't be using. You know, we often hear, oh, Scrum is not working here because blah, blah, blah. They think it's not scalable, but it absolutely is scalable. It is. It just needs patience and it needs you to have in the background the Agile Manifesto values and principles. If you do that, you'll succeed. The Scrum framework is purposefully incomplete, only defining the parts required to implement Scrum theory. Scrum is built upon by the collective intelligence of the people using it. Rather than provide people with detailed instructions, the rules of Scrum guide their relationships and interactions. So what do we mean by some of these rules? For example, we've got three roles, and those three roles, we want to keep them intact. And those are the three roles we identify. That is not to say there couldn't be other roles in the company, but in order to keep that Scrum pure approach intact so you can really understand it, embrace it, and then build on it, just keep it like that. Don't introduce anything else. Practice it and as you practice it through the years, you'll find out why we have three roles, five ceremonies, right? Three artifacts. There's a reason. 
Various processes, techniques, and methods can be employed within the framework. Scrum wraps around existing practices or renders them unnecessary. Scrum makes visible the relative efficacy of current management, environment, and work techniques, so that improvements can be made. Let's talk about Scrum theory. Scrum is founded on empiricism and lean thinking. Empiricism asserts that knowledge comes from experience and making decisions based on what is observed. Lean thinking reduces waste and focuses on the essentials. So, for your exam, understand empiricism is key. Whenever you're talking about what you're going to do, what you can do for a customer, for a client, it should be based on empiricism. It should be based on real values from real experiences that you've had as a team. For example, velocity. We don't just throw out a velocity and say, "Oh, we're going to do forty story points." No. You should first of all have an idea of what the team can do, but as you move from sprint to sprint, you are fine-tuning your understanding using empirical data about what exactly the team can do. So we don't throw out bogus promises; we throw promises that we have tested and tried and found to be true. Those are the ones we put in the bucket, not just any old promise. So when you think about Scrum, empiricism is key, and then lean thinking. We want to reduce waste. We want to focus on the essential, so we don't have meeting after meeting for hours and hours on end. We have a fifteen-minute stand-up meeting. Keep it short and sweet, and then we time box a lot of the activities that we carry out. A lot of the ceremonies, they are recommended time boxes, and it's to help us, to help us avoid wasting time. Scrum employs an iterative, incremental approach to optimize predictability and to control risk. Scrum engages groups of people who collectively have all the skills and expertise to do the work and share or acquire such skills as needed. You know, we talk about T-shaped skills. We talk about paint drip. We talk about the broken comb. That is pretty much what this is saying. This is really just sensitizing you to understand when you've got a Scrum team, we want a group of people who collectively have all the skills and expertise to do the work. And the keyword share. Or acquire such skills as needed. So one of the terms that you hear in the Agile Practice Guide is I-shaped. What is wrong with an I-shaped profile? An I-shaped profile is someone who has no intention or interest in doing what is described here, acquiring skills that are needed. Some people they are like one-trick ponies. That's I-shaped. We don't want to be like that. We want to be T-shaped at worst. But better still, we want to have the broken comb profile, varying degrees of specialisms, not just a one-trick pony, but varying degrees of specialisms. Scrum combines four formal events for inspection and adaption within a containing event, the sprint. So think about it. Those events are really ceremonies. We call them ceremonies events. So you have the container, which is the sprint. Inside the sprint, you're putting sprint planning. You're putting the daily scrum. You're putting the sprint review and you're putting the retrospective, and that's how you get five ceremonies. But don't forget, we have another ceremony which is informal, and I can see why Ken and Jeff wouldn't put this as a formal ceremony because this should be a way of life. It's something that the product owner should be thinking about and doing all the way through, whether we have the development team along with him or her or not, and it's the. Backlog refinement ceremony, which is not a formal ceremony, because something that should happen all throughout. Now, when it is taught, we typically tell you this happens in the middle, somewhere in the middle of the sprint, and that's okay. But it's not a formal ceremony because, with or without the development team working with the product owner, the product owner has the responsibility of refinement. It's something that should be done 
all throughout. So let's talk about transparency. The emergent process and work must be visible to those performing the work as well as those receiving the work. So when you think about that for your exam, you need to be thinking about the information radiator. You need to be thinking about displays, osmotic communication and things like that that help people understand where are we? What are we doing? What's coming down the pipeline? What is close to the end zone? What do we need to do to move this close to the end zone? That's the idea. So with Scrum, important decisions are made based on the perceived state of its three formal artifacts. And I've told you about these artifacts. We have the product backlog, the sprint backlog, and the increment, also called potentially shippable increment by some folks even till today. Artifacts that have low transparency can lead to decisions that diminish value and increase risk. Transparency enables inspection. Inspection without transparency is misleading and wasteful. Let's talk about inspection itself. The Scrum artifacts and the progress towards agreed goals must be inspected frequently and diligently to detect potential undesirable variances or problems. To help with inspection, Scrum provides cadence in the form of its five events. Inspection enables adaptation. Inspection without adaptation is considered pointless. So think about it. I often say during exam prep that prevention is better than kill. Prevention is like quality assurance. Cure, on the other hand, is like quality control. So think about it. If you do quality assurance, you should also do quality control. But if you do quality control and you don't do quality assurance, it's not productive. Inspection without understanding why you have the problems you have and without tweaking it is futile. So the idea is as you inspect, you adapt. Inspection enables adaptation. Inspection without adaptation is considered pointless. Scrum events are designed to provoke change. Let's talk about adaptation. If any aspects of a process deviate outside acceptable limits, or if the resulting product is unacceptable, the process being applied or the materials being produced must be adjusted. The adjustment must be made as soon as possible to minimize further deviation. Adaptation becomes more difficult when the people involved are not empowered or self-managing. And that's the key word for your exam. You need to remember that a team is not just self-leading, but also self-managing. A scrum team is expected to adapt the moment it learns anything new through inspection. And that's why we need to empower the team. Now, for your exam, one of the concepts is employing people who are adults, people who we trust, people who we know not only will get the job done, but will interact in a mature fashion. And that's why we say once you've got a team flying at ultimate altitude, don't bring them down by causing the team to disband. You know, we talk about the five stages of team development, forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. The adjourning stage is a poor stage. It's a bad stage because companies that enable teams disband, that's the adjourning stage. And after all that synergy and time and effort has been spent in getting the team to synergize, now you're separating the team. Well, another team has to be formed and they have to go through those five stages again. What a waste of time. So we want the team to be self-organizing, self-managing, self-leading. Once we get the team together, keep them there. Just help them stay there. A scrum team is expected to adapt, and to adapt, everyone needs to be on the same page. Now, for your exam, one of the things we talk about is getting the team to consensus. 
getting the team to be moved towards a common goal, a common decision. And to do that, you need to remember we have things like voting, fist of five, just straight voting, thumbs up, thumbs down, and of course the Jim Highsmith decision spectrum. Don't forget that for your exam. But adaptation is key, and in order to adapt, we need a team that can adapt. Let's talk about Scrum values. Successful use of Scrum depends on people becoming more proficient in five values, and those five values are commitment. Focus, openness, respect, and courage. So, at the base of Scrum, what Ken and Jeff have done in this edition is condition our minds to what we should be thinking and how we should be behaving, even before touching any of the artifacts or going into any of the ceremonies. So, the Scrum team commits to achieving its goals. And to supporting each other—that's commitment. Their primary focus is on the work of the sprint to make the best possible progress towards these goals. The Scrum team and its stakeholders are open about the work and the challenges. So think about those two sentences first. We are committing to the goals, and then we are focusing on the work of the sprint, and then we are being open and honest. We are being transparent, and that is important. So the Scrum team and its stakeholders are open about the work and the challenges. Scrum team members respect each other to be capable, independent people, and are respected as such by the people with whom they work. The Scrum team members have the courage to do the right thing to work on tough problems. So we're talking about courage to work on tough problems. So think about it. Phil is one of your team members. He's right there in front of the Kanban board. He's staring at a very, very difficult user story. Yeah, we've broken it down to the user story level, but in his mind, it's still at the epic level. Well, Phil needs to have the courage to pick that user story and to work it as a team member that has the capabilities. Have the courage to do the right thing. To work on the tough problems, the team has broken it down. You know it's not an epic anymore, and even if it were, you can do it, Phil. So if you have any issues with it, have the courage to say, "Hey, team,、um, I don't think we've broken it down sufficiently." Courage all the way. So commitment, focus, openness, respect, and courage. These values give direction to the Scrum team with regards to their work, actions, and behavior. The decisions that are made, the steps that are taken, and the way Scrum is used should reinforce these values, not diminish or undermine them. The Scrum team members learn and explore the values as they work with the Scrum events and artifacts. When these values are embodied by the Scrum team and the people they work with, the Scrum pillars of transparency, inspection, and adaptation come to life, building trust. So, for your exam, I just want to emphasize: commitment, focus, openness. Respect and courage. So I don't know if you have a CFO, but this spells C F O R C. CFOs respect courage. It's an easy way of remembering it. Let's talk about the Scrum team. The fundamental unit of Scrum is a small team of people, a Scrum team. The Scrum team consists of one Scrum master, one product owner, and developers. Within a Scrum team, there are no subteams or hierarchies. It is a cohesive unit of professionals focused on one objective at a time: the product goal. So, I want you going into your exam to think about it like this: We may not see the word "developers" being used on the PMP exam every single time. You may not, but you might have the word "development team." You might find the word "team." Now, you got to balance it and weigh it. In what context are we talking about the Scrum team? 
If it doesn't say scrum team, you got to weigh the question well so that you know, is it talking about these three characters or is it talking about just the developers? Okay, so you got to weigh it and you got to be very comfortable with the lingo. But when we say scrum teams, this refers to those three roles. Scrum teams are cross-functional, meaning the members have all the skills necessary to create value each sprint. In other words, T-shaped, broken comb, paint drip, remember, not I-shaped people. You know, in the Agile Practice Guide, we talk about I-shaped people. No, you don't want to be I-shaped. You want to be, at worst, T-shaped, better still, broken comb, paint drip. They are also self-managing, meaning they internally decide who does what, when, and how. The scrum team is small enough to remain nimble and large enough to complete significant work within a sprint, typically 10 or fewer people. In general, we found that smaller teams communicate better and are more productive. If scrum teams become too large, they should consider reorganizing into multiple cohesive scrum teams, each focused on the same product. Therefore, they should share the same product goal, product backlog, and product owner. So when people say, oh, Scrum isn't scalable, well, Ken and Jeff have just given you a blueprint to use organically. If Scrum teams become too large, meaning that we need to scale them up, we should consider reorganizing them into multiple cohesive Scrum teams. And you know we use the term Scrum of Scrum, so if you haven't taken a look at the definition of Scrum of Scrums for your PMP exam, I highly recommend that you do that. The Scrum team is responsible for all product-related activities from stakeholder collaboration, verification, maintenance, operation, experimentation, research, and development, and anything else that might be required. They are structured and empowered by the organization to manage their own work. Working in sprints at a sustainable pace improves the Scrum team's focus and consistency. The entire Scrum team is accountable for creating a valuable, useful increment every sprint. Now, I just want to touch on that really briefly because a lot of times when we hear useful increment or potentially shippable increment, there's a tendency to think we need to ship. You do not need to ship at the end of every increment. You could choose to have multiple increments in a release and you could choose to release months after the very first increment when you've got enough increments. I also want you to be aware of terms such as the minimum viable product, which is really referring to the valuable feedback that you get from a customer to determine if the product is viable. That's why we call it minimum viable product. What is the tiniest amount of product or the tiniest thing that we can deliver to our clients so we can get feedback as to if the product is viable? And if it's not viable, we need to learn quick. So a lot of times people think of an MVP as having to be a product or maybe even having to be some sort of prototype. No, it doesn't have to be. Your minimum viable product could be a water cooler conversation. It could be a survey. It could be interaction. It could be watching a stakeholder interact with a prototype. And through their interaction, even without saying a word, you realize, oh, this is definitely not going to work. This is not a viable product. So understanding the MVP is important. Then understanding the MMF, the minimum marketable feature, and the MMP, minimum marketable product, those concepts are also important. Now, when we talk about minimum viable products, we want to know if the product is viable. When we talk about minimum marketable products, we want to know, is this marketable? Is this something that would add value to our customers? Is this something that they would buy? What is the minimum amount of functionality that needs to be inside this product before it can make sense to be marketed? Minimum marketable product. But at the same time, after you determine the minimum marketable product and you've released the product... The next level of thinking is, 
can we have more features added to this thing? And if so, when should we do it? Minimum marketable features. What are the minimum marketable feature sets that we can include in this thing that would make sense to actually market this set of features? Have this release, if you will. But a lot of times you hear people just say MVP, meaning the same thing each and every time. But that's not the case. So you need to know MVP, MMP, MMF. Keep them in the back of your head. I do not think those folks doing the PMP will have a lot of stuff about MMP and MMF. But in the context of Agile and Scrum, it does help you to understand where these fall in. So the entire Scrum team is accountable for creating a valuable, useful increment every sprint. Scrum defines three specific accountabilities within the Scrum team, the developers, the product owner, and the Scrum master. Let's talk about them one by one in our next episode. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of the Scrum Guide with PMP Exam Commentaries. If you found this to be useful, my friends, I would like for you to give this a big old thumbs up, share with your friends, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Hey, but before we go, I have some questions for you. What are the five ceremonies in Scrum? I'll give you 10 seconds. Okay, three, two, and one. The five ceremonies in Scrum, you got to understand, first of all, the big old container, the sprint. Now, inside the sprint, you've got sprint planning, you've got the daily Scrum, you've got the sprint review, and you've got the sprint retrospective. Well done. Next question. What is the optional ceremony that I told you about in the world of Scrum? Three, two, one. The optional ceremony I mentioned, which is not identified as such, but is an informal ceremony, is backlog refinement. Next question. What are the three artifacts from the world of Scrum? Three, two, one, the three artifacts, product backlog, sprint backlog, and the increment or potentially shippable increment. Regarding products that we derive from an endeavor, I mentioned three terminologies, MVP, MMP, MMF. What do they stand for? I'll give you 10 seconds for this one. Three, two, one. The three terms, MVP, minimum viable product, MMP, minimum marketable product, and MMF, minimum marketable feature. I advise you to know these really well, and I'm going to define it one more time for you. When we talk about an MMF, it's a small self-contained feature that can be developed quickly and that delivers significant value to the user. The full-term minimum marketable feature is not widely used in practice. However, the concept lines up nicely with the first principle behind the Agile Manifesto. Our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. The concept supports the idea that software you release to your customer, even if you're doing it frequently, should provide some added benefit and allow your customer to accomplish something they weren't able to before. 
The term marketable describes the idea that the feature provides value to the customer because value can be defined in a variety of ways, including increasing or protecting revenue and reducing or avoiding cost. The MMF concept is applicable to both external products intended for sale outside the organization and internal products for use inside the organization to support the delivery of the organization's product and services. Now, MVP is also known in the Agile community incorrectly as other things. So some people say MMF is the same as MVP. No, it's not. MMF is about delivering value to customers, whereas MVP is about learning more about the ultimate product. Like I told you, the key thing is feedback. And MVP could range anywhere from not having any MMFs to having a single MMF to having several MMFs. They are not the same concept. You could find out if a product would fit the use and be viable to the customer by asking questions. You may not even have a single feature. And all of this great stuff is from the Agile Alliance. You want to take a look at the definition for MMF. It's right on point. Now, let's read the definition for MVP. A minimum viable product is a concept from Lean Startup that stresses the impact of learning in new product environments. Eric Ries describes MVP as that version of a new product which allows a team to collect the maximum amount of validated learning about customers with the least effort. The validated learning comes in the form of whether your customers will actually purchase your product. A key premise behind the idea of MVP is that you produce an actual product which may be no more than a landing page or a service with an appearance of automation, but which is fully manual behind the scenes that you can offer to the customers and observe their actual behavior with the product or service. Seeing what people actually do with respect to a product is more reliable than asking people what they would do. The expected benefits of the MVP. The primary benefit of an MVP is you can gain understanding about your customer's interest in your product without fully developing the product. The sooner you can find out whether your product will appeal to customers, the less effort and expense you spend on a product that will not succeed in the market. So the idea is use MVP when you're talking about viable, viability of a product. Use the term MMF when you're talking about minimum marketable features that you deliver after the product has been produced. Subsequent releases. That's the idea. Now, we also have the term minimum marketable product. Now, minimum marketable product, we know the product is viable, but what is the minimum marketable product? The key word being marketable. It's another concept that encourages businesses to create a minimum offering which is based on the idea where less is more. Companies that do not think about the minimum marketable product are going to go off on a rabbit trail trying to create everything under the sun in the first release of a product and therefore will not be first to market. In other words, they're going to be left behind. That is not what we want. We want to understand that every product has early adopters. The question is, can we get this out, the minimum amount of product to get to our early adopters, to get the raving fans to use it and to build some momentum before we start thinking about MMFs that are going to be put on top of that MMP? All right. I hope that explained this concept to you because I went through it pretty quick during the training. Now, let me ask you one more set of questions. What are the three roles in Scrum?
three, two, and one. Product owner, scrum master, and developers. Sometimes we refer to them as team, but remember, collectively, product owner, scrum master, and developers, or product owner, scrum master, and team, we refer to them as the scrum team. In which scrum ceremony does the customer inspect the deliverable? Three, two, one. The answer is sprint review. What are the three questions asked in the daily scrum? Three, two, and one. Now, this one I haven't taught in this section, but I'm going to give you an inkling into the next session we have. The three questions are as follows. These questions are pretty clear in a book written by Ken Schwaber, Agile Project Management with Scrum. He writes, each team member should respond to three questions only. One, what have you done since the last daily Scrum regarding this project? Two, what will you do between now and the next daily Scrum meeting regarding this project? And three, what impedes you from performing your work as effectively as possible? Now, there have been so many variations of this work. This has been asked as, what did you do yesterday? What are you going to do today? What are the impediments in your way? Another way we've heard it most recently is, what have you done since our last daily scrum to propel the team forward to achieving its sprint goal? You see the difference here? We are focusing on what has been done to move us towards the goal of the sprint. And then the next question is, what are you going to do between now and our next meeting to move us closer to our sprint goal? And last but not least, what, if any, are impediments that are in your way? And that, my friends, brings us to the end of this very quick review of the world of Scrum from a PMP exam prep lens. This is just the very first episode. We're going to have other episodes. So again, share this with your buddies if you like it. I'd like you to let me know. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.